0: Toto? I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
1: You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. The great and art has spoken. Who are you? Oh well, I, I, I am the great and powerful
0: Wizard of Oz.
2: Welcome back to Out of Oz. Building 28 Church podcast, where we confront the fantasies and fallacies of modern Christian culture with compassion, conviction, and courage. I'm your host, Peter Tragos, and with me, as always, is Pastor Aaron Curran. Oh, don't, don't, what be a day. So, don't what a day, so, man. And be, what a
1: topic. I mean, you just caught me on a good day for such a topic <laughs> as this. Uh, we have here on the podcast a couple friends, and I just want to preface it by saying, I love these guys. These guys are great. These guys are not cut from the same cloth. They're <laughs> no. very different, but they're very uh, close, other than their wine connoisseurship. ship. Um, but we have over here Pastor Donnie to my left. A lot of you guys know Pastor Donnie. You've used him for his immaculate counsel, <laughs> endless wisdom thanks uh, thanks for that yeah. <laughs> welcome on the podcast today don also has a uh a business i'm gonna plug rice oh, leadership really group. yeah i'm gonna wow. plug it okay um, yeah, don is a certified clifton strength finders coach and uh, does a lot of that within our church and for pastors and businesses so anyway check that out uh for simple payments no uh, uh over here, over here in my right we have, have uh my right we have keith newbert and uh keith is in our worship band he's a deacon here at building 28 yeah and, first uh, ever round of applause you, thank for, a, thank you. for a guest. I'll, I'll take say. It. Well, well, I will say Keith has helped immensely in the media department and music department here at, at Building Twenty Eight. So that's why our media director is applauding him. Um, and Keith has also been on staff at a few different mega churches and uh, is very savvy to the topic we're going to be addressing today. So welcome on the podcast, Keith, for thank the you, first thank time, you. or Keith. Uh, I I appreciate Jeffrey, that. Jeffrey likes to call you. That's great.
2: All right, so. <laughs> amidst all the jokes that Aaron's, Aaron's already started with, we're talking about a pretty heavy, serious topic today. Um, we are going to be talking about why Christian leaders fall, specifically pastors, ministry leaders, people with big platforms, um, or any ministry leader, I guess. Um, so when we talk about the subject, why do you think it's something that is so prevalent today, in today's day and age? Why do you think we see so much of it when in the past it was something that I don't think was as known, I'll say. it's probably still happening, but it wasn't as known. Why do you think we see so much of it out in the public eye today?
1: I think there's a multiplicity of reasons for that. Uh, Obviously, media has escalated. We talked about that on our podcast. Mm -hmm. Media has escalated the information that we have, whether that information is true or false. And we know um, there's a documentary, which I think you've seen, probably all of you guys have seen, called The Is it The Social Dilemma? Yeah, The Social Dilemma, Mm -hmm. where they talk about that lies travel six times faster across media platforms than the truth does. And uh, Spurgeon, over 100 years ago, had a quote that um, lies travel around the earth before the truth can even get their shoes on. And that's the truth. And so we love, we thrive on division now. We thrive on seeing, sadly, even in the Christian community, we thrive on seeing – Christian leaders fall. Sometimes um, it's almost like this justification in our minds. I knew he wasn't legit yeah. or I knew that she wasn't sound. And so when they fall, there's, um. and I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I did that with Carl Lentz here recently when Carl Lentz fell. But I, I I would argue that there was a lot of smoke around Carl Lentz that led to that statement. When, when a guy is in, engaging in a unrighteous lifestyle and teaching a very soft, even heretical gospel, Oftentimes, it's going to lead to compromise in other areas of life. Uh, sadly, there are men who are not teaching a watered down gospel and seemingly are not compromising their lifestyle. And yet, then dirt, like with Robbie Zacharias comes out that is, inc- I mean, like Carl Lentz didn't rock my world. Like, that didn't rock my world to hear this about this, this celebrity pastor. Robbie Zacharias hit me in the gut. Like that, that sucked, and so I think that it's easy to accuse, which we'll get into. It's it's just easy. I think every pastors matter right, we had two pastors turned down coming on this podcast day two of my good friends, local pastors, because this hit too close to home for them. They said, I've been accused in my pastoral ministry. I've been fired in my pastoral ministry for misconduct. For And in both their estimation, it was not justified. It was not conduct. Of course, we're all sinners. We all fall. Like, we all have seasons of struggle and doubt. But that wasn't justified for them. And so they said, I can't come on this podcast today. So I just think um, across the board, there's a multiplicity of reasons. Media escalates those reasons. Um, people get their feelings hurt. People are angry. And they make either justified accusations or unjustified. We're just seeing it everywhere and we're hearing about it everywhere.
2: And I think that the Ravi thing is, is interesting when you combine those two aspects where you say the media, today's day, and guys like Ravi who are teaching sound doctrine that you can learn so much from that did so much good for the kingdom, so yeah. it seemed to us, and still did. I still believe that he did. Um, and I still believe God used him. But it feels like, like you're saying, it hit close to home, rocked your world. Like it feels like that was somebody I knew Even though I didn't, you know, like I'd heard him at conferences, read his stuff, watched his videos, listened to his stuff that he had to say, but I didn't like actually know him, you know, but it feels like you do today because of some of these pastors that are on YouTube doing podcasts, writing books, and so accessible to you. So it still hurts because you feel like you know them and then this happens and now you're like, well, do I really know them? But Keith and Don, I think we'll start with Keith. You have some actual personal experience with some of this and being around it. So what what is your experience around why some of these Christian leaders fall?
0: Yeah, so I, you know, I, I think there's – obviously this issue has existed as long as sin in the church has existed. Right. And there's some things that have happened as we've progressed with technology and society that have perpetuated these things. Social media is a good example of that, but this existed long before that as well. As the advent of the megachurch and the influence that some of these leaders have over the Christian community – To really dive into it, what you ultimately see is an isolation of these people from community, which is a huge part of it, that drives them down a path of sin that goes unchecked. And in my personal experience, I've seen this in a number of avenues, both as a a staff member on a church working alongside two of the prominent pastors that have failed in recent years. but also in business, I spent a lot of my career working with churches on construction projects. And I always tell people jokingly, half jokingly, that you see the worst of a church when you do a construction project with them because it's the hardest thing a church will ever do. So you see the, the dirty underbelly of, of the personalities involved and you see a lot of the the sin and the issues that drive ultimately towards these failures. But the big piece of it is always this this isolation that occurs in in pastoral ministry, and some of it is congregationally caused, some of it is influence caused, and some of it's just plain sin in the individual.
2: Yeah. What about you, Don?
0: Well, to add on what Keith was saying, uh,
3: when it comes to the individual, it could be fear of not not even just exposure of the sin, but being judged for anything. So then they pull away from everyone around them, they, they end up being on an Island, which then causes them to not be accountable. One, not to, uh, have people speak into their life and, and they end up floundering and it starts small and just grows and can grow really fast.
2: Yeah. And I think, I mean, one of the things we're talking about is if we think this is a legitimate issue, I think we all think yes. Right.
3: I, I think, I think there's,
1: there's legitimacy. It's kind of like the, um, it's kind of like the Me Too movement. Like if I if I had to speak about that, there was a lot of legitimacy behind that when all the cries of Me Too came out. But what happened was, it, it would seem that amidst all of the legitimacy, there were also accusations made that were very illegitimate against anybody who maybe they did something that was mildly inappropriate, or they did nothing at all, and somebody was just angry at them. Their feelings have been hurt by a boss, a supervisor, a pastor, whoever. And so they made these accusations. And so there's now this fear of because of a legitimate reality, you can also be illegitimately accused of something. And that is very true in ministry. Like um, because we've seen high profile James McDonald's and Mark Driscoll's and Darren Patrick's and and Tulane Divisions and the list goes on and on fall because of money, sex and power. I mean, those are those are where every leader falls uh, to some degree or another. Now, I mean, like the indictments just come all the time. As a matter of fact, I, I don't know any pastor who's been in ministry more than about seven minutes who hasn't been accused of something and hasn't been declared disqualified by somebody in their church, typically someone with hurt feelings or someone who's friends of someone with hurt feelings. Like, that's how it goes. I mean, Don, you've probably been accused of being disqualified like seven or eight times, yeah. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I don't know that's happened for me, and it's happened for every pastor friend I talk to, whether it's a small church or large. And so, yes, there's a very legitimate issue. But there's also the reality that we are all sinners, that we are all flawed. It doesn't make it right. But because we sin, because we disappoint people, frustrate people, wound people, the, the the accusations can also come that perhaps aren't as legitimate as others. And so I think both of those need to be talked about. In Keith's instance, I would agree with him that both of those pastors who fell fell very Legitimately, those were legitimate accusations against them. It was very clear. the biblical first Timothy five was met of of evidence from three or four two or three witnesses or more um and so th- those are things we'll kind of work through. but I think there's a very clear legitimacy, but also unfortunately an illegitimacy of accusation that comes.
0: I think there's a societal component to this of you can go back in biblical history and see evidence of this back in 1 Samuel, of people seeking an authoritarian figure. In 1 Samuel, God says, I'm your king. And what do the people say? No, we want we want a human king. So they get Saul. And they put people and leaders on a pedestal and then immediately look for ways to knock them off the pedestal that they put them on. And that's not fair. It's not equitable because they don't put themselves in the same light oftentimes so this idea of we're all sinful seems to apply brother to brother sometimes but it seems very out of balance with lay person to leader oftentimes where we have a higher expectation we should have an higher expectation of our pastors and leaders but we can't have an expectation that there's no sin there's a freedom from sin with this person and when they do sin we're knocking them off that pedestal and trying to take them out and having those illegitimate arguments.
1: Yeah, I think I think it was Dristrel who said before everything blew up at Mars Hill, he would always say, uh, who you idolize, you'll eventually demonize. Yeah. And, and I've used that a lot because there is this – so we've heard of the God p- complex that exists in business or uh, among doctors, maybe among attorneys uh, – that exists Not
2: usually
1: for, the <laughs> that exists for sure among pastors, especially the more a pastor in a prominent role gets worshipped and adored, told they can do no wrong, they start buying that cred. I think, Absolutely. I think, I think Driscoll would even admit to that. Uh, I've had a couple interactions with Mark Driscoll and he seems like a changed man in a lot of ways. I, I don't know for sure, but he seems like a changed man. But I think it's, I, I can even on a much smaller scale, I can attest to that, that when you're being applauded and you're being um, loved and adored and, and you can do no wrong and people are coming to you for advice and you really have this, this uh, you talked you talk about a Ravi, I mean, people have patterned their entire way of apologetics around the way you do this thing. Or they have patterned the entire way of how they study the word around the way R.C. Sproul, which thank God, you know, nothing's ever come out that he ever fell or anything, but around the way R.C. Sproul studied the word. So that R.C. Sproul is more than just an under-shepherd pastor now. Ravi's more than just an apologist. they become a godlike figure, a savior for these people. And unwittingly, the individual, then the pastor, the scholar, the apologist begins to believe that cred, that press about themselves almost unwittingly like almost everybody I know who's arrived at that point did so unconsciously it just one day they were like man it just slowly over time I have bought more and more and more of my own press, and now I think I'm impervious and and so they justify sinful behavior
2: and I think it's important to point out like that doesn't just happen with one singular person you know it's not just like the pastor starts to think this about himself and goes off on off the rails you know I think there's a group of people surrounding them that that partake in this and allow it and even add to it and enable it. And I think it's important to notice that and think about that with anybody that's listening and any of us that have been in that situation to be around people that get to that point. And I think it's important to talk about the legitimate issues that cause Christian leaders to fall, like we're talking about now, where it's separation, it's pride, it's power, it's money, it's sexual sin, and it goes unchecked. And then you think, that because of what you're doing and because of all the good you're doing, that it's okay. Or that, you know, like you're saying, you can literally do no wrong. So the way you're doing it is right. You know? So why do you think it's so easy for someone that's a Christian right? and it's so hypocritical. It's the, it's the worst. That's why I think we hate it so much. And when we come down and we're, you know, we know we all have friends, I'm sure that are guys that have sinned sexually, whatever it may be, you know, cheated on their wives, uh, adultery, the same things we heard about Ravi, Sure. And it just hits different when it's Ravi because you think about him differently and you've learned so much from him and you know how he preaches and to know that he's then doing that, it's just, it, it hits different because of the hypocrisy. Why does that happen? Why do you think that happens? And why do you think it's so prevalent in Christian leaders? Because it really is, it should be less prevalent, right, Don, mm-hmm. in, in Christian leaders than presidents or whatever, think, yeah. like political leaders, but it doesn't seem to be. So why is that?
3: Well, I'll get to your, your question real quick, but one of the things that... I think happens often in ministry is people get placed into ministry without actually being, being prepared for absolutely leadership. Uh, they go into seminary or, or school, they get trained theologically, but they don't get trained as a leader. And so usually the way it works in ministry is they go into youth ministry and then they get tired of that and they move themselves into some other executive pastoralship, and then into a, a leader or they start out somewhere and they're really good at something preaching, singing, writing, whatever it is. And then they get thrust into this position by the people who are actually like, this guy's really good at what he does, but they're not trained to be a leader Mm -hmm. and to even take a church where it should be going because they're just maybe really good at this certain thing. So then they get seduced by this authority or this power, or as you were saying, bought into their own press. Um, So we've, we've- I think what you're saying is we have valued in the church
1: competency over character for a long time. Absolutely, like that. Oh, they're they're gifted, they're skilled. So even if they're kind of a scumbag, right, or kind of a jerk, like we can we can deal with that,
3: right? And 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 I think that that we allow things to happen because of they're gifted in those certain things, right?
0: The the worst aspect of that is that we use that personality trait as a defense because of the success of ministry. So now we're using that as a manipulative tool to explain away sin of, well, look at how much the ministry is growing. And we use those metrics to defend what should otherwise be condemned and corrected. And even
3: fear of speaking against the person because the ministry may then falter or diminish or whatever because they, they believe they've seen the Lord move in miraculous ways. And,
2: and we've so, all, go ahead.
3: I was going to say to your your question then because of the seducing of that authority or power uh, when I read about Ravi and what where he was failing he actually uttered the words like I deserve this because I've done so much for God.
2: Yeah, I know that's why I, I, I was thinking the same and they're like and he would tell them apparently I need this because of the stress of my ministry and it weighs on me so and it's just like literally makes my Mm-hmm. So there's, a, there's a difference i, just, I
1: hope we're all seeing i hope everybody listening would know there's a difference between that and a dude who has been faithful and 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 pressed forward amidst the stress and the anguish and they have a moment or two so of, yeah let's
2: get to of that falling
1: you know like whether that's and, and there are certain sins i'm sure we'll talk about that are perhaps more disqualifying than others but whether he falls sexually or through pornography use or or through anger or, or whatever it might be like there's a difference between buying your cred so much that you just justify to yourself and to everyone else seemingly like, seemingly like Robbie Zacharias did that, Hey, I'm, I'm good. Uh, like I deserve yeah. the very thing that God hates because no, i get it. it. And then, and then, sinning, and then somebody, somebody right. who just, right, we're all sinners. And yeah, so you, you struggle, not you snap. can't be a sinner anymore yeah. just because
2: you're a pastor. So, and right. I, I think we should get to that. So, so I think one of the important things is to talk about the difference between what sins do disqualify you before we get there. So, in doing research for this, I did read along Don's point, where, you know, you start in youth ministry, you just go right into it without getting leadership training or necessarily being ready for ministry is one of the main things with sexual sin that happens in men that become pastors is they rise too high too quickly and they have unrepentant or unresolved sexual sin in their life, be it pornography or just, you know, being a young adult that's promiscuous and just, you know, having sex with their girlfriends or whatever through college, and it never gets resolved, and they go right into ministry. And then it just continues. It doesn't change just because you become a pastor. The sins you struggle with don't just go away as opposed to them, like you're saying, being developing character and leadership before they actually get into ministry. So that's something that's really hard is if you have these sins that are unresolved and then you just go rush straight into being a pastor before being prepared and ready and called. And I think the same thing for elders and and those positions of leadership in the church.
3: Well, and I, I wasn't going to say this at all. I was determined not to, but you introduced my business. But that's the whole reason I started my business was to go into churches to fill that gap of leadership training mm-hmm. for pastors. Don, um, other people are allowed to plug your business, not you, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I agree. And I think that that's, I think it's really important to, I'm to realize it is that. A very, it is a very valuable resource. They're
1: valuable training and equipping resources that pastors don't take advantage of. And so right. they are, we've seen it so many times and I think I was guilty of it, where a young man is so impassioned, so full of angst, no one's giving him his dues or his time at the pulpit or whatever, and so they're, they just kind of run, and instead of submitting to a process of mentorship and discipleship and training, They just kind of rush out. And Mm -hmm. that's why I think, you know, we're part of H29 Church Planting Network. I think that's why networks are so important. Sojourn, Mm -hmm. H29, and others is they are going to patiently walk you through the process of planting a church. So you don't like destroy the church in the first place. And I think that's
2: a good thing about the Southern Baptist Convention and those things as well. You're with other pastors. You see their struggles. You have mentors and mentees. I think groups of believers. I mean, I'm sure you have issues with the SBC. We don't have to get into those, but I'm just saying. I like the SBC. That is, I think that's a real good benefit to those types of things and groups of believers and Christian leaders getting together so they can talk through this stuff and realize yep. it. I think they need to talk about it a lot more as opposed to being floored and shocked and it th- it sh- runs shockwaves through the SBC because there's stuff going on that's bad. It's like, come on, guys, you, you have to know this and we have to be more proactive about it, which I think is conversations like these are are so important to have.
3: I think when churches were hiring, they didn't look at the character aspect right. of, of men. But I think that- They looked at who's going to bring in the
2: most people and money and all that stuff, because it's not right. just the pastor that has these problems. Right. That's but, what we have to realize. That's who everybody's going to see, Fell, But I promise you, I shouldn't say I promise you, because I don't know for yeah. a fact, but all the Ravi people would have helped him cover that up and helped him, you know, do what he needed to do to make sure that Ravi Zacharias Ministries keeps taking off and keeps mm-hmm. being as successful as it is. It's really I, hard. I hope not. I mean, I, I, I don't I know. I want to believe because I shouldn't say everybody, but I'm not sure the there are people. But I could see the people who are well, making well, money. I want to say it. this
1: in defense of Robbie Zacharias Ministries. It's, they have it's, come out. Yeah. yeah, it's manned by his family and they have been very mm. honest and very forthcoming right. with their supporters and everyone else. And so I do give them a lot of props for that because that's very hard to do. It's way easier to sweep that stuff under the rug and cover it up and move on than to than to in so many ways, tarnish the reputation of a man who for 50 years did kingdom sure. work. So, sure. so I do, I do want to say that, like, I, I, I want to believe that they weren't aware. I want to give them love believes all things and hopes for all things. Love is optimistic. First, Corinthians 13. So I want to believe that the, a lot of these churches, if they really knew what was going on, um, whether it's Willow Creek or Mars Hill or, you know, wherever, or if, if, I think that, that it's important to, to note that. that, And that's fine. Yes,
2: I'm just saying there are usually people that are enabling this behavior. Sure. It's not There's, just one guy bucking everybody, doing whatever he wants, usually. It's,
0: it's, right, it's but my, cultural is right, the issue. Exactly. What, what happens exactly. in most of these cases, and, and you can include or remove Ravi because that's an itinerant ministry, but from a church perspective, in the world that we live in, in America, in church, what we usually find is you find a dynamic leader who decided to start a church. At what point they decided to start that church and what the conditions were that they decided to start that church is a question that gets overlooked a lot. Was it because they were fleeing from something and they couldn't fall under leadership and decided to start their own thing? Were they sent out in a constructive way through something like an Acts 29 network that really evaluated humility and character over dynamic capabilities? Most of the time what you see is you see somebody who is gung-ho, entrepreneurial in spirit, right. has a lot of flaws, but has an ability to stand in before a whole bunch of people and engage them successfully, which builds influence, builds congregational Size all of these power, things, money. power, money, right. all of these things, and and when you're doing that, then you're building a team around you that supports that. And right. and the experiences I've seen far and wide, you see a lot of and, and yes, man's not a, a very fair statement, but for shortening the discussion, you see a lot of people willing to look the other way on for a lot of sins well, for that, the greater good of this this ministry that they're perpetuating.
3: That was going to be my point. So maybe they don't intentionally, but they unintentionally right um because they want to believe the best they or they questions. they don't want to right. dig in or or whatever but what i was going to say was that that many churches because of media is so big and and it's that loudspeaker a lot of churches are becoming more intentional uh, i know that we are uh we're we're not just wanting to hire to hire we're wanting to bring people in test them see how they go and and make sure that we see that character as well as that that skill.
2: Okay. So I think it's important for us to get to the distinctions now as to what we think biblically are disqualifying actions or sins by Christian leaders and what aren't. And then I do think we should talk about the length of disqualification. Is it forever? Is it for a period of time? What do you look for? So whoever wants to kick us off with, with that is... is.
0: Well, I think you nailed it on the head. The big three that you see are sexual sin, Greed and relational abuses, however you want to put that. I would say that relational abuses tend to create the other two eventually. Where if you're if you are abusing the people under you or subordinate to you, and you are creating a leadership environment that is weak leadered, if I can make up a word, mm-hmm. weak leadered, um, eventually you're going to see the ability for greed to grow, and you're going to see the door open for. Sexual sin to abound. And I think we all generally know there are categories of sin that are immediately, you're, you're done. You know, I think.
2: So let me ask some questions, Don, to you and, and Aaron, just specifically so we can just talk about this and get answers if we have answers. So, so when talking about sexual sin, if you commit adultery while you're the main pastor, is that disqualifying?
3: I would believe so. For a moment in time,
2: and that's what I want to say. So is it disqualifying and for how long
1: you cheat Adulting. on your wife? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that it is. I mean, it, the the issue is Paul doesn't lay that out in 1st 73 or Titus 1, cheating on your wife as a disqualification. Um, Except husband of one wife would. Yeah. I would mean, so one there. woman, man, but also broadly the idea of being blameless above reproach. As as very we have seen and, we'll, we'll and, and we know, those sure are very vague right. and can be very easily abused. I think every pastor who's been accused and said they're disqualified it's because they're not above reproach now or not blameless now. Because those are very broad. But I think that almost anyone would. I don't think it's it's way out there and far fetched to to imagine that when you come, when it comes to sexual impropriety, that pretty much ninety nine percent of the Christian populace are going to come down that you're not blameless. You're not above reproach if you cheat on your wife like that. You might be blameless still if you commit one sin that's not as uh, of a as polarizing nature. But sexual sin is just that one. Because I think uh, I was going to say that the thing I think that is most uh, disqualifying um, for churches is a is a bro- broken trust um, that we don't trust the leader really has the best interest of the church, his family, or of the Lord and the kingdom in mind. And so when a guy breaks relational trust, which is more than just when a pastor sleeps with somebody who's not his wife, he's broken more than just the trust of his wife. He's broken the trust of the congregation. He has fractured his uh, the way in which he should be living for the kingdom. And so I think that that is a pretty easy one for most people. I know some churches have tried to work through that. I would not take the, the the stance that sexual impropriety is always hundred percent forever dismissal from ministry. Um, some people do. I think that is a a very that's a very bold kind of audacious thing to say that a man who um, fell into a one time momentary lapse of judgment, sin, wicked, yes, affair twenty years ago, can't not now be in ministry again. I don't. I think the I reason, though, to
2: be fair to those people that say that it's disqualifying forever is. Far too often, people get back in way too quickly. I agree with that, yeah. Especially if it's like the person we're all discussing who's very charismatic and people follow them and they're a leader and people like them and they're going to put butts in the seats and they can come up with some, usually what they do is some justification for why that happened. That's why they just say, I think, it's safer to just disqualify forever from being a lead pastor. Not that it makes it right, but I think their point is well taken that better to err on the side of being conservative with that and saying, "You you can... minister and serve in many ways without being the lead pastor or a leader in the church.
1: Yeah. The um, scenario I painted out is not, know, the, 20 not, the, years later not the common one where right. 20 years later and the guy's going, I don't even think I was a Christian. I was a pastor 20 years ago and I don't think I was a believer. And now I've come to faith and I, uh, you know, that's not the common one. Right. It, the m- more common one is six months ago, I cheated on my wife. I'm with my lover now and
3: I'm wanting to but start God a Christian
1: ministry. God wants us ministry, to be happy. You know, God yeah.
2: wants us to love who we love. You know, I, yeah. I get it. So, I mean, yeah. but yeah, just to, just to point that out.
3: To boil down your your question of what sins are disqualifying, I really think that it's the opposite of First Timothy those qualifications, um, but. But really, what I don't
2: think it's as, as easy for people listening to understand what that actually means,
3: like. right? So, so what I was going to clarify was mm-hmm. that 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 could be a continual sin, okay, like a, a lifestyle of sin of the same sin of the of the going back and the unrepentantness of it. Um, I think that's where it would land down because it talks about not giving to anger, but it's not for the person who. Outburst has outbursts of anger. It's the one who's given over to being an angry person.
2: See, I don't think it has to be a continual sin, though. Would you agree with that? Or you no, has no, to I be agree. Like
3: that? And that's where your question for adultery
1: right. is is well, different Well, not just thing. that,
2: but how about stealing from the church one time? If the pastor steals money from the church.
1: The issue is, is that most of the time, because we're talking hypothetically here, most of the time, when a pastor is stealing, most almost every historical case you can think there of, are it was not issues. a one time. Okay, it was yeah. it was multiple times of embezzlement or theft. I mean, that's fine, but and it's, the but same with you... adultery. It was not. It might have been only one woman, but it was multiple times with that one woman or You've girl. You've
3: discovered the big grossness of the large sin, but you can see the pattern. I, and
1: I think that's part of the issue too is when it gets to these very public polarizing sins of theft and and um, true abuse uh, and adultery. Typically, there is a train of this litany of other sins that have led to that that become that become revealed over time. It's not just, hey, man, he's been really, really faithful and he slept with this girl. Like, I mean, like, I it, get there's it. been, and I understand compromise.
2: that. But do you, why, do you have a problem saying that if the pastor steals money from the church one time, that that's disqualifying? No, I, I would say that's I don't disqualifying. Think that, I think that's disqualifying. Like, but I, I'm saying, if you're a leader of the church. Yeah. I, I mean, there's not a lot of businesses that give you a second strike sure, no. on something like that. Yeah, I um, think we could
0: come up with all kinds of hypotheticals of well, ways that could be disqualifying. But the reality is that I, I think you're right that it's there's going to be a trail of, of bodies behind whatever pattern of sin there is. There's a pattern yeah. for a reason. And but it wants to get, become yeah. disqualifying.
1: From what Peter's saying, like, okay, yes, one time stealing from the church that's grounds for dismissal for how long? We can talk about that. Sure. Um, what was stolen, you know, right? And I don't need to get into
2: like those kind of hypothetical details. I just think that, and as I've talked to people about this subject, they want to know like, not everybody has a full understanding of what's disqualifying and what's not. And when we say things that are like being above reproach. Everybody has different definitions of that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I don't think there's a single definition of above reproach, depending on who you are and what that definition actually looks well, like. Well,
3: they can use that actually as a weapon. Well, yeah, and that's true
2: too. And that's my point. So that's why I kind of just want to get our thoughts of like what's actually qualifying, because now another one, right? Another step forward in this conversation. What about divorce?
1: Yeah. So if a, if a pastor is actively pastoring, While his, his wife ministry. leaves him.
2: Correct. That's uh,
1: no.
3: not ruling
2: your house well.
1: Okay, so I, I would. So I would I would push back on that and disagree in that. See, this
2: is why I want to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, no, this is
3: this <laughs> good.
1: And so I think there it, there are a lot of men who have lost their families because they're not leading their house well or ruling their house well for 73. So I agree with that. I also know of several instances where a man was leading very, very well, albeit he's a center. so not perfectly, but leading very well, trying to love his wife, as trying to love the church. And the wife, her heart was completely led astray to the point where the wife even has said, and this has happened locally, where the wife, the pastor has said, It's nothing that he's done like uh, talking about her husband. I just don't love him anymore. I'm leaving. I'm going elsewhere in that situation. I would say he is not in any way disqualified, but I would highly recommend if I was on his board of counsel or a fellow pastor that he confided in, I would recommend a season of sabbatical away from ministry and let the elders in love. Instead of judgment determine how to proceed forward with that man, but I would not say he's disqualified from that. Um, I, I think it's it's way too easy in Christianity today, especially because we thrive on division and accusation to just assume about somebody something instead of trying to discover the truth in that, which takes a lot more work. It's a lot more laborious. And so for me, I would hope, which I love my wife, I think my wife loves me, um, but I would hope that if something ever happened and Daniel left, and I could before the Lord and before our elders say, "I'm I'm walking strong," and I tried to love her like Christ loved the church, that the elders wouldn't just kick me to the curb right away. That
3: there would be discussion around that.
2: I think I agree with Don on this.
3: So my point of view is usually, and and the person can say there there wasn't anything they did, but it could be those little moments of ignoring or that's exactly what Aaron talks about all getting the time like you have to make sure that in, in you're not living at the work church. too much right. or something like that and feeling that disconnection and so they may not realize that that is something that's pushing them away causing their heart to get drawn drawn away and so there there usually is a reason that there is i mean I, i'm sure a, you can have have like right
2: the perfect storm i get yes, it. but how about exactly. how about a sabbatical before she leaves where you just take some time with your wife to try to work on the relationship. Like I think there well, are- there should
3: always be moments of reconciliation. Right. Um, I mean, that's, that's what Matthew 18 is all about, uh, is drawing the person back. And once there's reconciliation, it's done. But as far as disqualification, I would say it would be for a, a short period of time until it was understood what, what was happening.
1: Yeah, yeah, I it's guess it's hard I, think. I guess I, think I just knowing people it's so easy. It's so once again it's just so easy for me to sit back cuz 15 years ago I've had a much different answer to this. 15 years ago when I knew everything there was to know about right, ministry. Right. You would say disqualified, yeah, disqualified, 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 disqualified all over yeah, the place. Like disqualified, disqualified. It's really <laughs> easy for the the armchair quarterback to sit back and go, "Oh, they're disqualified." Um not not to say that's what Don's doing at all. He's far from an this armchair. This is why you have a
0: diversity of wisdom but, and leadership in a church though yeah. is to collectively Put your heads together with the wisdom from the Holy Spirit to be able to make these decisions and what is disqualifying it not. I mean, I have a very good friend who went through this exact situation where he was a pastor of a church. His wife decided she didn't want to be married anymore, left him, and the church made the decision that he needed to leave the ministry for a time. And it wasn't a sabbatical. He was done. And I don't know if I fully agree with all of that approach, but I understand how they got there. I understand that for the sake of the church and their value of marriage, that that was a step that they felt was important. And they came to a collective agreement with him included to take that step. Now, does that disqualify him forever? No, it doesn't. But for that church in that time, that was the decision they made. And I would hope that their body and that group of elders came to an agreement that that was the right decision, as painful as it was. Yeah, if Peter's asking the question, do I
1: believe... Once again, kind of this universal concept that if a pastor steals from the church, they should be fired. The answer would be yes. If I believe a pastor is in an affair, should they be fired? Yes. If I, Do I believe universally if a pastor's wife leaves him and he fights for her to stay, that he should be disqualified or fired? No. The answer would be no for me. I think I wouldn't judge a church who does that. Right. But I think the ca- I don't think you take it case by case with an affair. I think that's just kind of you're done. Okay. Yeah. I think you take it case Sorry. by case with a pastor's wife leaving him.
2: Yeah. Okay.
3: Personally. There I, you go. I would agree, case okay. by
0: case. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's good. I think that's a good way to, to answer. So, what about pornography?
0: <sighs> technically, I would consider that adulterous. Yeah. Well, technically, it is.
1: That's a lot tougher hurdle. Um, obviously, we've talked about the ills of pornography. I think we, addiction we to
2: pornography, obvious, yes. Mm-hmm. Where the line is of how you know if someone's addicted to pornography or not, then obviously it opens up the gray area. Or you think caught one time fired. I would lean
1: thing. very heavily toward if there is any pattern of pornographic use that yeah. is uncovered, then that person at, at the very least needs to be placed on some type of leave. You're um, really just
2: asking for other problems. If yes, you do find yeah. that out and don't. If, if do it's if it's a
1: slip it. up, you know you, you weren't looking for. I mean. Obviously, most people would say they weren't looking for it. Uh, I think in the church, but um, that, that's and I say that's tougher because I've known a lot of pastors once again who have struggled and then legitimately struggled. The percentage not, is high, yeah. Not just not just like I'm addicted and I justify it, but they they struggle with that. Like God created us to have those passions and send twist those passions to be distorted, as we've talked about on the previous podcast. So. um, I try to have empathy once again, 15 years ago, I've been like, no, disqualified forever. And I try to have empathy with those who have struggled with that mm-hmm. and continue to struggle with it. They, they need to get help. If if they're struggling where it's a, it's a recurring thing, they need to be honest with somebody and even
0: put themselves on leave or step away from ministry. But that's kind of where I would land on that. I think what's difficult with that one is, again, this comes to the isolation issue. Like how far down that rabbit hole? Have you gone as a pastor with nobody knowing? Or do you have relationships in place that allows for that to be in check and worked through like any sin would if you're in true relationship with others? If it's out of control because you're in isolation, that's going to lead to a whole host of other things. And it's going to be addiction by the time it gets visible or blows up at them. So I, I think that ultimately all of this, all of these issues circle back to what are the relationships and where is the Trust and closeness and everybody throws around the word accountability, but I think it's beyond this idea of accountability and it's really depth of true relationships with others that keep any of us in check. But pastors, because of the nature of the pedestal that we talked about and the accolades, but also the judgment that gets cast upon this sense of isolation and, and inability to be transparent and honest with anybody, you know. Any of the people that have failed, Ravi Zacharias sitting in a home group talking about his struggles seems kind of unlikely. Yeah, which makes it pretty obvious how you can get to the place that he got because mm-hmm. he's got nobody. And that's that's really is a huge problem. Is pastors are alone
3: and and don't they have like anyone have to, be. to be able to work through right. things with and so, yeah, one, and keep them accountable because they're not being completely honest. One of the ladies who's been on the podcast. Who
1: I talked to about you being know, on the podcast, and she said they cut too close to home for her too. She said that when she this a pastor she knows who disqualified himself, that w- the pattern she saw emerge was that he had five or six guys around him that would speak honestly, and that became three, and that became two, and then there was no one left yep. um, who would speak honestly into his life. And I think that's uh, like we've we've misconstrued and misunderstood this idea of accountability in our day. Accountability for some people, especially A types like myself, is well, you just need somebody who can like tell it like it is. Um, Lecrae talks about the accountability of someone who – the way he put it was someone who knows your full moon. So not just the, the light side but the dark side. Like they they know who you are as a person. They love you as a person. They'll speak into that as a person. What are you laughing about? When you,
2: when you said, no, your full moon. I know, right? I, I, I just went I to the Super Bowl streaker and I was like, yeah, no, I know his full moon now, I, so la-
1: I laughed when I heard it too, but I understand what he's saying. Yeah, it's so easy, mean. like especially if you're in the limelight at all in a medium-sized, larger ministry – for people to see the bright side of your life, like the, the side you want mm-hmm. to present, even if you're in a home group, like you can present the clean side of your life, um, but to have three or four men or ladies around you who know who you really are and really love you and care about you and are willing to have tough conversations, if they see you slipping or sliding, like that's that's what accountability, biblical accountability, really is. And for me, like I've gone through seasons where I didn't have that. I'm grateful now that I do have that. And in the seasons where I didn't have that, it's so much easier to to buy your own press. And it's so much easier to become angry and abusive um, than when you have people kind of, kind of in love once again. And that's that's critical, but in love tempering you and, and saying, hey, you know, like, which you still won't like
2: necessarily. And you but probably won't even. ask for, right? So like when you have those friends, you're probably not going to ask for them to tell you all the things that they think you might be struggling with, but they're, good enough friends and close enough friends and they see your full moon to be able to have that conversation with you. And they take, I mean, we should have the the relationships to where they should know to come talk to you about that if they see an issue or feel like you're falling down a path as a Christian leader, which I think is important when we talk about this last one. It's the last one I'm going to ask about. So, and I'll just group these together as negative actions, either of anger or dismissiveness or, you know, not show a lack of empathy or sympathy as a pastor is that disqualifying if the pastor takes those actions
1: immediately disqualifying right so this one cuts deeper for me like, this is what i've been accused of by God's grace i've never even tampered with money or um or adultery affair any of that kind of stuff in my ministry not that people perhaps have have accused me of that i don't know but um, it's never come out because there's never been any legitimacy at all to that. Um, but for me, I am wired an A type, not in sin, just a, a very forthright, uh, determined guy. Um, on all the personality functionality tests, I'm I'm kind of wired dangerously toward uh, to a proactivity and pushing people. Don says in Stringfinders uh, the influencers are manipulators at times they can be and they're pushing crowds to go a certain direction and that can be used for good or for bad and I've used it for good and for bad at times and uh, and I've tried to be forthright and admit that both publicly and and privately when when that's happened. but I think that that is uh, it, it becomes very difficult because when you are kind of wired a certain way by the Lord your sins, which they are sins, are more polarizing. They're more obvious. They're more clear. And I think when you don't have accountability around you, they can become out of control very easily. And I think there's been a couple of seasons in my life where I look back and go, didn't really have that accountability. Um, My wiring combined with sin struggles, pride, narcissistic behavior led me into that. So I can't, it's hard for me to sit here and answer the question was I disqualified in those moments by God's grace, men and my wife stepped in before it was too late because there's always damage done when there's sin on the table, but they they stepped in and, and lovingly said, we need to course correct this. Like there needs to be repentance. And by God's grace, I repented. And we were brought back. Uh, that still doesn't dismiss, if I'm honest, charges from people who were hurt or, or emotionally upset um, because of something that was done. Um, but I think that it is, it's the, the issue is, is that when you're, when you're stealing, when there's adultery, these are very tangible offenses.
2: And they're a manifestation of so many other things. Yes. Too, like we've already talked but about. But I'm saying yes, it's, it's so it's, in it's, your face.
1: It's either you're having sex with a girl who's not your wife or you're not. Um, right. You're either looking at porn or you're not. You're either taking money or you're not, or taking resources or you're not. When it comes to power and uh, narcissistic behavior, and there's this fine line there. And I think that's, I think these are the sense that can get justified more easily because it's like, we like this guy. Like you look at Trump, for example, we like, a lot of people are like, we like him as a president because he gets stuff done and he's bold and audacious and says it like it is. But the flip side of that is arrogance and, a lot of people know no, because no it accountability well. and right. lack of control. And so I I would come down on they're obviously not immediately dis, like because you need you need your accountability. If there's a pastor out there listening or a Christian who has a pastor who's like this, they need good accountability. They need prayer from those under them. I wouldn't say it's automatically dismissive. I would say if the pattern persists, like we saw with, if I can just be frank, with Mark Driscoll perhaps or with James McDonald, that pattern escalated to the point where. They had so bought their cred that everything was justified now, and they went public with their, uh, with with their claims and and statements. Um, Now you're talking about something different that needs to be addressed, but that's a lot harder. It's a lot more nuanced. What do you think, Keith?
0: Well, James McDonald is 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 the probably the pinnacle recent example of this. And having worked for him and lived in that environment for for quite a number of years, I have a little bit of a unique perspective on it. Because I think in a lot of ways, being the A-type personality that he is and the brash in-your-face approach that didn't have a lot of humility and sensitivity built into it. And you can talk narcissistic tendencies and those kinds of things. But from the get-go with him, that was a hallmark of the way that he led, that built an organization that was very early on an abusive organization to be involved in. But people made the excuses and, and allowed that behavior to then escalate to a point where it was financial abuses, where it was him cleaning out his elder board anytime somebody disagreed with anything that he wanted to do and, and crafted a, a tower of phony nonsense that ultimately collapsed on him and has all but bankrupted the church in the process. And it's a really sad thing to see because what it ultimately results in is a leadership team and a and a staff that is built the same way with the same personalities and spreads like a virus. And you could see that down through the, the attenders and the members of the church, the impact of those behaviors. Now, where the point is that that became disqualifying was probably a lot earlier on than most people would consider sure. because he was crafting a, a level of influence that outpaced his character and Don and I have talked about this in the past of if you look at the, the the trajectory and the path of a pastor as they start a ministry, the gauge that you need to have is you need to have people that can gauge whether their character is outpacing their influence. And when that line crosses and their influences outpace their character, that's when you have a real problem and it's real hard to get back
2: to. And where that was in any single person's ministry that's fallen I don't know, but... So you think that it definitely obviously can grow into something that's disqualified, but not necessarily on the at the outset, is it disqualifying if it gets under control at the right time? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I
0: mean, I don't, don't think we want to say that a type A personality that's very dynamic like that automatically means they're going to be a jerk and a horrible pastor. It just means that they need to have proper influence in their life that can corral that, harness that, and that God can use those gifts because they are gifts. I mean, a type A personality is a God-given gift. There's no question about that. But left to our sinful nature, we're going to corrupt, destroy with it.
2: Yeah, I think it's not a good precedent to set as we sit here with four Christian guys talking about Christian leaders falling to say all sin is disqualifying. Because I think the number one thing that's going to create is more isolation, less accountability, less relationship. So I want to make sure we all agree on that. Um, And I want to point that out that there is a point where anger dismissiveness pride is a sin and not disqualifying right so i mean that that point exists it has to exist the bible does the bible says we are all sinners and says that we are going to be leaders in the church right so we I would sinners, say no pastor
1: is qualified right if if those things disqualify and that's why i want
2: to make sure that that's an important thing that we point out because we're trying to figure out when anger becomes disqualifying but like there are so many sins that pastors commit every single day that are not disqualifying. And I think that it's important for them to be able to talk about those sins and struggles, and especially with their close friends or whatever, they don't necessarily need to air it out. But where that is fine, and that's how it has, not just fine, that's how it has to be. You have to be able to talk about the sins you struggle with, the sins you have, the sins you commit as a pastor, just like anyone else, or you are just creating that isolation that Keith's talking about that is the ultimate downfall. Because at that point, you're fake. You're a hypocrite. You're wearing a mask and you have to keep that up. And it just the whole keeps digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And at what point you can't see the light anymore. Well, so I think, that's
0: I think the other part of this, too, that we don't want to lose sight of in the discussion is do pastors and leaders need to have people speaking into their lives? Obviously, sure. that's how you drive to repentance in the event that there is sin. But what a pastor doesn't need, and I'll speak on the behalf of the two that are sitting here, is everybody speaking into everything all the time because that's not helpful either because over-share. that also drives – Don't
2: overshare. Right. That also drives much.
0: isolation. Sure.
3: So to your point when you said hopefully there's people that will want to speak in and everything, mm-hmm. it, it could get overwhelming if, if sure. all your friends are like, well, I actually need – I owe that to my pastor to do that so there does have to be an intentionality of the pastor to reach out to sure. the people that he trusts and and knows that cares about him and and knows that they may even have a personality to keep him accountable mm-hmm. um and i i do that i've got i've got guys around me that that um i've i've requested if you see this stop me early
1: <laughs> he comes to my office every week saying that are we okay <laughs> <laughs> uh no i think this has segued into now, what do you do as a Christian when you see your pastor struggling yes. with these types of things? Um, you know, obviously if you hear that he's in an affair, like like that's it's different. But I would even say then, make it's sure a lot of making, cautiousness find out if it's the truth. Like, I mean, for crying out loud because even the rumor can ruin someone. Absolutely. Rumors ruin so many leaders nowadays. And especially when when and let's be honest, when you get bitter, when you get hurt, when any of us do, the truth sometimes is insufficient to enact revenge, and so there's a part of truth and then mistruth that accompanies that a lot of times, and I can't speak of you know to what happened with Driscoll, but it would seem in my research and conversations I've had that there was a lot of truth to accusations, and then there was also mistruth about him that led to the demise of Mars Hill because, and I can speak to my own situation, it was it was hard to hear truths spoken about me at various points in my 20 year ministry, so it's hard when I'm being caught out on legitimate sin. What's even more difficult, and I told you this, Keith, a couple of years back, um, what's even more difficult is when you're being caught out on stuff that you never did, you know, that that you haven't done that. And so I think, A, pray for your leaders. Like we're commanded to do that in Hebrews 13. Um, truly pray for your leaders. Believe the best. That, that doesn't mean naivety, like, you know, but believe the best about your leaders. Be hopeful for them. Know that they're sinners, that they struggle, um, you know, ask if they have good accountability in their life, volunteer to be that accountability if you want to. And if they say no, then that's fine, as long as they have good accountability. And then I, I would say, if if there is, so First Timothy 5, Paul makes it really clear, actually, when he says, do not even admit an accusation against, and you could broadly say church leaders, Christian leaders, but it's specifically talking about pastor, elders there. Don't even admit something except that is evidence, so that is objective Um, And he actually says, don't do it out of prejudice a little bit later on in that text. So it shouldn't be emotional. It shouldn't be. It needs to be objective evidence that has been seen by at least two or three witnesses. And if the pastor then persists in that, then you rebuke in the presence of all so the congregation may stand in fear. Like It's pretty darn clear like what we should do. And so make sure it's legitimate. Make sure there's evidence for this sin that is persistent and ongoing, and then bring that um, in loving rebuke
3: um, so that. Everyone, including the pastor, would stand in fear. Well, and I was, I was, I was actually going to add that, but you said loving rebuke. I think that that's what's missing. Most people go for revenge, uh, to take down, uh, to even destroy. Uh, but love, not even necessarily like I love him, but love for his soul, um, care for having him be right before God, to draw him
0: back. Well, this is where I think social media has weaponized thinking the worst about anybody. And has trained and conditioned us to think the worst instead of the best. And if we pursued confrontation or reconciliation or whatever from a heart of love, compassion, and assuming the best to determine the truth, we're going to get far better results. And there's going to be a far better relationship built through that. Yeah. Yeah, restoration is gee instead of retribution. Right. But, you
1: know, that's lost a lot of times.
2: And I think that's the purpose, right, is that we want reconciliation and repentance. And that, that's what I keep thinking the whole time as we're talking about anger and a lot of these sins and problems is it makes the biggest difference you can imagine if the pastor is admitting what he did was wrong, repenting, trying to change, trying to fix it versus doubling down and tripling down and continuing to act that way. It just makes all the difference in the world. You know, having been in situations where we're seeing pastors do each of those two things, you know, and it's like there's such a huge difference between the guy that's doing this and the guy that's doing that. And the one that's admitting, repenting, trying to change, it's easy. I I don't know if I should say easy, but it's, it's a lot easier to see why that's not a disqualifying situation, you know, because he's just like any of us, sinning, trying to fix it, asking God for help and moving on and moving forward. So I think that it's important to kind of view this pastor leaders as people, as Christians, as sinners. And trying to do our best to help them not be disqualified, as opposed to like Aaron said when we were teenage Christians, disqualifying <laughs> everybody. Um, so that was that was interesting. That's all I got. You yeah, that's add that's, anything? All, that's you know what, man.
1: This is basically at this point in my life in ministry, I'm just a patchwork quilt. Like I've just got patches <laughs> and Band-Aids all over the place. So does Don over here. We just <laughs> we put ourselves back together each week. But no, um, seriously, appreciate you guys tuning in, Keith. Keith, thanks for stepping <laughs> up to the plate, man. Uh, Helping us out today. Appreciate your experiences and input. Donnie, always a pleasure, man. Thanks, man. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Odds is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.